Low regeneration. Uh, this is the uh, last study in Third uh, John. We only had two, but uh, we were in first, second, now third, and so this will be wrapping up that uh, series. This is a letter that John addressed to an individual, Gaius, but there's a message in it for the church. And if we look back to verse 1, it reads, love and truth. And then in verses 3 and 4, walking in truth. Now there's a connection between truth and love, and Christians can't live with one without the other. We, we need to have both of them. Truth, it is ultimately revealed in Jesus, who said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth in Jesus, it's objective. It's something outside of us and that we respond to it when we face it. The truth is absolute. It doesn't change, otherwise it is not the truth. And you'd have to put some other adjective in front of it. Jesus, the truth, is not unclear or ambiguous, which is much different from what many believe is truth, since in our day we tend to like bobbing and weaving around what is truth so, so that everyone can have their own interpretation of what truth is. But truth is not what we want it to be. Truth is what we're given, ultimately, conclusively, savingly, in Jesus Christ. This is why John rejoiced greatly to hear that Gaius was walking in truth, verse 4. And today we'll be looking more closely at two different characters, Diotrephes and Demetrius. And the key verse to focus on is verse 11, which reads, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Paul wrote a verse along the lines of this teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, and it reads, Do not be deceived. Bad company ru ruins good morals. And this is something we're all familiar with. We all know this. We encourage people that we love with this teaching, with this saying, to, to keep with good company to do good. There have been a number of occasions when ministering to people in prison that they were involved in a crime by association. They didn't do anything directly, but they were at the scene where the crime took place and the relationships we have are really influential. They're either negative or they're positive and it's very rare that they're just neutral. And if they are, even then they eventually move into a negative or a positive direction. And John gives us a picture of this with Diotrephes and Demetrius, with, with whom we'll be able to see how it affects others and, and we'll be able to see the health of their spiritual state. What we imitate strengthens what we say we believe or it weakens what we say we believe. And Christianity is about loving in truth and walking in truth. It's about imitating good, not evil. Why? Because it affects you. It affects 
others around you in a positive way or a negative way. And because it's, it's this accurate gauge to our health of, of our own spiritual condition. The company we keep greatly influences us in who we are and who we are becoming. Whether we imitate good or whether we imitate evil. So... It's important for us to evaluate the company we keep so we continue to grow in a positive direction. Unlike Diotrephes, who John will point out is not someone we want to imitate nor want to keep company with. Let's take a look at verse 9 in 3 John. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And so here's this first kind of character flaw there, who likes to put himself first. Seems like there's a hint of arrogance there and perhaps some narcissism there. And then this other phrase there, does not acknowledge our authority, that there's this lack of accountability. So, so far, it's just not a good combination to imitate good. I think there are quite a few of us who know this formula to be a disaster. People who put themselves first combined with not acknowledging authority. See, this usually doesn't end up really well. It actually ends up pretty disastrous. When we think about people who have failed morally, isn't this usually the case? So you can plug in that pastor or that leader, just people who have failed morally, people who put themselves first and who don't acknowledge authority. And some may have wondered what we could possibly get from this letter from 3 John. I, I think a lot. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has something for us here in, in all of Scripture. And I'm grateful that we go through the Bible at our church. Otherwise, we, we might miss the valuable lesson of not imitating evil, but imitating good. Learned from the examples of Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Now next week, we're going to take a look at a, a, a short book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. And so please read ahead and, and study ahead, meditate on it, pray about what the Lord will show you through it. Now in, in 3 John, you notice the difference between Gaius, who, who we looked at last week, and Diotrephes. And we'll take a look at Demetrius a little later. But Gaius was generous and he was hospitable. Take a look back in verses 5 and 6. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Gaius did not put himself first, and he did acknowledge authority. In verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes. This was a letter John a direct disciple of Jesus wrote to the church. This is John, whom Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to, to be taken care of by John. And so you imagine the trust and faith Jesus had in John to entrust his mom to be taken care of by him throughout her age until she died. 
And he could have chosen a number of other people, but Jesus chose John. And if anyone had authority in the church, he'd have to be one of them. But Diotrephes. Diotrephes didn't acknowledge John. Didn't acknowledge the other leaders of the church who had authority. He didn't want to hear of what the leaders of the church had to say. And you'll notice that this isn't even concerning a theological topic. It might have been, but it isn't explicitly stated by John, so it doesn't seem that this is a theological issue. This is actually a character issue. This is a moral issue. A character issue, a moral issue that is weakening Diotrephes' testimony, and it reflects poorly on his spiritual condition. We all know people like this. People who claim to be believers while breeding conflict because of their own unhealthy spiritual condition. And it's a moral issue. It is a character issue. It's not a theological one. Take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul wrote this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We know people like Diotrephes, and they're really, really unpleasant to be around, aren't they? People who think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, who don't think with sober judgment. And you and I can think of a number of people who fit into this category, but it might just be you and me who are these people. But it's no wonder because you look at the company that we keep. We live in a society, in a culture that encourages us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. People are constantly telling others that they can do whatever they want, be whatever they want, and the truth is, you can't. The truth is, no, you can't. And that is the truth. You can't do whatever you want. There are consequences to our actions and our choices. What we choose to do affects us, the people around us, future generations. We can't do whatever we want. You can't be whatever you want. And please stop telling people that because it's not the truth. We need to tell people the truth. Tell them the truth so that they can deal with reality. Being here in Oakland, there are so many people who want to play in the NBA. And we have a gym there that we remodeled and it's nice and people are practicing in there a lot prior to COVID. And I don't think the truth has been told to many of them that there are only 450 spots in the NBA. And yet there are even more than 400 people just in Oakland alone who want to play in the NBA. So it just doesn't work. It's not the truth that they can all make it. See, our society, our culture encourages us to like putting ourselves first. It encourages us not to acknowledge authority. So much so that it has even seeped into the church. And it's not until we pull from the truth of the scriptures that we're instructed otherwise and we can imitate 
good, that we can walk in truth. And it's so important to love in truth, to tell people their choices have consequences, to tell people in love, in truth, that they can't be whatever they want to be. It doesn't mean that we're out there just squashing people's dreams. We're, we're helping them, we're encouraging them with the incremental steps that they can take to get them closer to what they want to do with their life and to fulfill their dreams. But we don't lie to people about how they match up with what they want to do when they don't. Of course people can dream. Of course people can shoot high. We're not looking to demoralize them. But we do need to deal with reality. It's partly why there's 1.6 trillion in student loan debt. We can't do whatever we want. We can't be whatever we want. People are strapped down with this crazy debt that they can't even declare bankruptcy for. And a lot of it probably taken on because of the company that we keep. Everyone else around us was going to college. Everyone else around us was taking out loans. And the truth wasn't told about the consequences. If you're in debt right now, we'd like to know so that we can help you by providing some tools to help you get out of that hole. We'd like to know so that we can provide resources and perhaps a financial class to help you get out of debt. And the truth is that you need to get out of that debt. And we can point you in a direction to take these doable incremental steps in love. Diotrephes thought himself more highly than he ought to think and didn't think with sober judgment. John, in truth, called him out on this character flaw, this moral failure of putting himself first and not acknowledging authority. But there was more to the character flaws. Take a look at verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So you throw in there slanderous, inhospitable, divisive, condemning. And John is not bringing all of this up because he felt personally slighted by Diotrephes not accepting his authority. He brought this up publicly because it was a public concern. And you notice, talking wicked nonsense against us, wicked, senseless talk against us, gossip, slander. It wasn't just personal against John. What was said was against a number of authority figures within the church, and it was malevolent, and it was false. With authority, it always comes with conflict because not everyone wants to follow. Diotrephes is, is that guy who, who has this negative influence in the church. Someone who gathered people around his negativity and spread it throughout the church. And I've experienced this in churches. I'm sure you have too. It, it kills churches. I see it with churches I've consulted with. That they don't acknowledge it yet, but they're dying. And if they continue the way that they're going, they'll be gone. Whenever we're in leadership, there will always be accusations. True ones and false ones. There are accusations. No matter the leadership position, there are always others who accuse. Now, as leaders, it's very important to deal with the true ones 
and then to dismiss the false ones without hardening our hearts. And so it's important for us to deal with truth and for us to grow in our own character from it. It's also important for us to have a, a plurality of leadership so that we don't think more highly of ourselves. So Diotrephes had this wicked, this nonsensical talk going on, and he was inhospitable. It reads, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And on top of not being hospitable, he's actively stopping others who, who want to be hospitable, and he puts them out of the church. This guy has some serious issues. It's bad enough he, he's bad-mouthing the leaders of the church to the people around him, to his family, to his friends, to, to the church. He, he takes it a step further and causes divisions among the church and obstructs others who want to do good. He's actively doing bad. He's telling people not to listen to John and, and just trying to isolate his church from the other churches in the kingdom of God. This is evil. You've heard people say, you know, we just need to be like the early church. And, and my reply is always, no, we don't. The early church was a mess. The first century church was totally messed up. You look at what Paul wrote in Corinthians. He's telling them, stop your incest. What do you mean you're doing that during communion? He's like addressing all these things. It's very chaotic. Why? Because whether it's the first century or the 21st century, here's the truth. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah wrote those words 2,600 years ago and not much has changed. John wrote 3 John 2,000 years ago, not much has changed. Diotrephes is alive. He is well in our church today. People who put themselves first, they don't acknowledge authority. This is especially detrimental in smaller churches because their negative influences are more concentrated in smaller bodies. When the diatrophies of the, of the church appear, especially in smaller churches, it's, it's not time to be timid. It's time for rebuke. Holding back the reproof is just cowardice. And any church growth that you think will happen, won't happen. It will be unsuccessful to the detriment of that church. They can't see clearly what's going on, what's wrong, and to think otherwise, you're just lying to yourself. Oftentimes, people are hesitant to confront the diatrophies of their church because they're too tied up with them, whatever that may be, whether it's family or they've been in church together for a really long time or whatever the reason, they've, they've lost any objectivity to deal with the truth and do what needs to happen. Failure to act when there is a call to action is not exercising Christian truth or Christian love. It's, it's fearfulness, it's cowardice. Christian leadership needs to be strong, and gentle. It needs to be truth and loving. Christianity is about truth. The truth is revealed to us in the Bible. The truth is revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We are to live this life of truth with integrity. Not just to know it and to agree with it, but to demonstrate this life, to demonstrate that we understand what it means to imitate good, to imitate Jesus. The Bible gives us all the essential truth we need 
for life, and it guides every practical application of our lives. Are we being stirred by the truth? Are we understanding it, imitating it, living it? Verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Don't imitate Diotrephes. Imitate Demetrius, who we'll be getting to here in a second. Let's unpack verse 11 a little bit more before we get into Demetrius. John wrote these three letters to believers to address the the proofs of their faith. Evidences such as obedience, love, abiding, the, the, the proofs we look at in 1 John. How do we know what love is? You can Listen back to 1 John again. I'll just share a few verses, starting in uh, verses 16 and 18 in, in 1 John chapter 3. Actually, just verse 16. We'll skip the other ones, and then we'll go to 1 John 4, and then verses 9 through 10. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is not just an example of love. He is love. He's more than an example because We can follow his example in the sacrifice he made for us, but our sacrifice wouldn't do what his did. He was sacrificed for our sins, taking on our judgment that we deserve, taking on our guilt, our shame, so that we can be given innocence, honor. Jesus took our condemnation so that we can have a glorious communion with God. So it's no surprise that we're instructed to lay down our lives for the brothers, as in 1 John chapter 3. We are to imitate Jesus, Jesus who laid down his life for us. Now, how is this done practically? You look back to 1 John chapter 3 again, and this time we'll we'll look at uh, verses 17 through 20. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. What are we doing? What are these deeds of love? It was really encouraging to hear of the giving that happened in the church to those affected by the fires. Those of you who are imitating Jesus, imitating good, you are who you say you are. And this is what John is essentially writing, that we be who we say we are. Who are we in Jesus? Be that. Be who we say we are. And this is not some works-based faith. It's, it's being who we've become. As Christians, we, we have found peace. We have found rest in Jesus Christ. Now, we live our life in Jesus. It's, it's not 
free of suffering. It's living our life with Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Living in truth, not imitating Diotrephes, but imitating Demetrius. Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius is someone who's above reproach, and people are speaking well of him because the truth is in him. Actually, everyone is giving him a good testimony. And for some of you, might, you might be thinking, well, didn't Jesus say something about that in Luke chapter 6, verse 26? And he said, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Well, to interpret that verse correctly, we need to read the rest of that verse. And so it says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus was talking about liars in Luke. John is talking about truth in 3 John. Different context of why everyone is speaking well of a person. It's based on lies, that's woeful. If it's based on truth, that's wonderful. What people say about us isn't what life is all about, but it sure isn't a bad thing to have a good testimony with everyone. Goodness is good. What goodness can you share with your neighbor? Would people say you're a good person? We share the good news of the gospel, and we do good deeds as an expression of the truth we have. And Demetrius got this right, and so we imitate him. Diotrephes got this wrong, we don't imitate him. Demetrius was the type of person that is, uh, you know, what you see is what you get. His life exhibited truth, and John himself attested to his character. John agreed with what everyone saw in Demetrius. Then there's this interesting phrase here at the end of verse 12. It reads, and you know that our testimony is true. This is a very Johannine way of writing. You look back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Eyewitness, first-hand accounts are very important. And John is attesting to be a first-hand eyewitness to which he testifies. It is John, this credible first-hand eyewitness, who writes to us, walk in truth. Why? Because there were so many false teachers in the first century church, just as there are so many false teachers today. People who present themselves as very articulate, very smart. They have a lot of followers, and people throughout history have been misled by false teachers. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Then in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he writes, For the time is coming when they will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. Are we listening to truth? Or are we listening to myths? Are we reliant on the Holy Spirit to direct us to truth? Because this is how we walk in truth. 
this is a very great concern today because we have so many streams of information that are just constantly bombarding us. Who do we even trust? What voices, what media outlets, what things we read, all these different inputs that are coming to us, what do we even trust? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And John was there too. That they are trustworthy. John wrote in John 21, 24, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ was not created by people, as some falsely accuse. The good news of Jesus is divine, proven by the resurrection of Jesus. And if you want to disprove Christianity, all you have to do is disprove the resurrection. But it's truth. And the Holy Spirit inspired John, Peter, Paul, others, to write down the truth in our scriptures, the authority of God's word. Walking in truth is not our truth. It is the truth as revealed to us in the Bible by the Holy Spirit through God's servants. That's why we follow the Bible. That's why we submit to it even though we don't want to and it's completely countercultural. It was back in that day. It is today. And as born-again believers of Jesus, we can't have different views from Jesus. There are so many different views from Jesus, but we have to stay true to the truth. Why do we believe what we believe? Because the Scriptures inform us. This is our authority. Verses 13 and 14. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. You know, corresponding with people is great, but nothing beats face to face. And I think we know more about this than we ever have, don't we? That Zoom, FaceTime, emails, text, social media, letters, all those different types of correspondence, they just don't quite cut it. They are not the same. It's it's just missing something really valuable. Nothing beats Presence, face-to-face, being together. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that God didn't just leave us words on a page, but that it's a living word and that we're given the Holy Spirit and Jesus was sent to us physically and he will return for us physically. That God is with us. And here's John's parting words. Verse 14. Shalom. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Peace. Why does he say this? Because Gaius needed it. And this is what we need, frankly, in our day. We, We need peace. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, what, does he, what did he say after he was crucified and he returned? He said, peace be with you. And he said it multiple times because he knew 
That's what they needed. They didn't have any. Turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, and then we'll, we'll skip around there. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. You see that there's no peace. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus is proving that he's victorious over death and that he himself is that complete peace. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, telling them to have peace. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Then eight days later, and you, you look at how they still were, they still didn't have peace. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Gaius must have been experiencing a lack of peace because there was a person like Diotrephes out there in the church causing all, this, all these problems. And John wrote to him, Peace be with you. Do you have a difficult person in your life? Are you going through a difficult time? Peace be with you. Peace be to you. See, we are the recipients of this wonderful peace from the Prince of Peace. But on the other side of it, we are also the deliverers of this peace like John, that we can give peace. We are empowered by God to deliver peace to others. And it can be spiritually, it can be verbally, it can be by our good deeds and imitating good. And something that our city, that our nation, that our world needs right now is peace. Peace. Reading on in verse 15, it reads, The friends greet you. So we need peace. We also need friends. Friends who know us by name. Greet the friends each by name. Why? Because friends care. In Acts chapter 27, verse 3, Luke recorded what Julius did for Paul. And, and, and Julius was escorting Paul to, to Rome to be, to be tried. And it reads this, Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Julius was a centurion. He was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And so he's escorting Paul to Rome for a trial. He could have easily just had a couple of the soldiers just, hey, can you feed him, wash him up, just keep him alive until we get to Rome. But it's not what he does. Why? Because he knows it's his friends who care that are going to go beyond just keeping Paul alive and fed. They're going to treat him really well. They're going to care for him. When you lack peace, when you feel like you don't have friends, Jesus, Jesus, who says to you, peace be with you. 
And he says that to you when you have no peace. Because he's the prince of peace. And as the prophet Isaiah prophesied that he is the prince of peace. It's written in Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. When we are the ones creating chaos, when we are the ones who are not friendly, and then the evil one starts to accuse us, our only hope is to go to Jesus. Jesus, who gives us peace when everything else around us is chaotic. Jesus, when everyone else deserts us, he is our friend who leads us to walk the path of peace, friendship, righteousness, truth, walking in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so gracious, so long-suffering, so patient, that even though we are here creating chaos amongst one another, not always imitating good, oftentimes imitating evil, and yet you still extend peace to us. You still extend friendship to us. I pray, Lord, for the church to walk in truth. I pray for us to get the shades out of our eyes and to see you clearly, to not be distracted by the things that pull us away from you. Please, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to imitate good, to be like Demetrius. And Lord, convict us when we are being like Diotrephes. I pray, Lord, that we would submit to the authority of your word. I pray, Lord, that we not think more highly of ourselves, that we wouldn't put ourselves first. Lord, teach us your ways. Help us to be receptive to that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, let's partake of it together. And so the cracker symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. That he returned to his disciples and he said, peace be with you. And as we await his return, he will usher in peace to us. We take this in remembrance of Jesus and his promises. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. Very costly. Cost him his life to take away all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our condemnation so that we can have communion with God. We thank the Lord for his sacrifice. We take this in remembrance of his sacrifice. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for your sovereign plan, 
your providence. We know you are in control. And whenever, Lord, we feel out of control and chaos and disorder, I pray, Lord, that we would look up to you, knowing that you are the provider of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.